We are talking about recognizing unsafe people, surviving the trauma they cause, spotting these types of relationships or people, and then also exploring why we attract or get into these type of relationships, you know, getting involved with people that aren't good for us. I'm Jody Stevens, and this show is about helping you live a better life mentally, emotionally, spiritually. If you like this program, I would be so honored if you would leave a review on iTunes or whatever app you're listening through. You can find other encouraging resources, my healing blog, my identity course, as well as this podcast right there on my website at jodystevens.org, J-O-D-I-E, Stevens with a V.org. I'm excited. I'm talking with my friends, Corey Mendoza and Lori Laura. We've all met through the speaker circuit through a great ministry called Sisters in the Spirit. And Corey and Lori, which rhymes, by the way, which I think is cool. (laughs) You guys are both amazing teachers and communicators. Corey, I can't wait for you to share your amazing story. Lori, you've been on this podcast before. I've taken your self-defense course. And so it was just so fun that we all got together through speaking at uh, the Sisters in the Spirit. I know for me personally, I've been there. I've attracted the unsafe person. I've been the unsafe person. Uh, Praise the Lord. He's brought healing into my life. And that has also helped me to be able to, to recognize it as well and to do more research into it. So I guess what I want to say to you ladies is we're definitely not coming to you telling you something that we haven't walked through, right? Exactly. 100%. I like to talk about why it can be hard to spot unsafe people. I think that's something that we all struggle with. I know for me, I experienced in my life, there was some past trauma. It was almost like my people picker was broken. And so I would attract kind of these dysfunctional relationships and things like that. But I didn't really know what I was doing because it it seemed so familiar to me, you know, because of the way that I was raised. I would say that the whole unsafe person. Uh, What you said, Jody, about you used to be that unsafe person, I completely Mm -hmm. relate to that and wouldn't have been able to name that. And then those toxic relationships, until we recognize those painful experiences that kind of set up those early patterns of relationships, you know, when we have been in environments that haven't been so safe or haven't been healthier, people call them toxic relationships. Mm -hmm. It's like that feels like home until we learn that, hey, this isn't so good. And it'll show up in our lives with anxiety and depression and just very unfulfilled relationships. You know, God wired us to be close to each other. But if we don't have that health uh, and love for ourselves and for other people and those relationships will just start slowly burying us. And until we process that pain and recognize our part, I know that for myself, until I recognize my cooperation. It's like a dance. <laughs> yeah. Until I take a step to the left, instead of continuing to go right, I'm going to continue to create those patterns. So it's it's very much in line with being a victim. You don't right. think you're a victim. You're your worst perpetrator because, mm-hmm. you know, like you're saying, your picker is broken. Um, <laughs> it's really, yeah. really neat when you can get that recognition and then take the responsibility and accept God's healing and learn new things. Then that feeling of home all of a sudden the toxic relationships don't feel good anymore in your body. It's like you you just, yeah. it's almost like your cravings change what you desire and what you're willing to do, which is not only love for yourself, but it's love for other people too. It's not good for other people to allow them to mistreat us or for us to mistreat them. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with what you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I And I agree with both you ladies. You know, I remember when I was going through this program called Community for Peace and I was going through the program to heal from all the abuse and also learn how to raise my children with me coming out of a system of abuse. They would always say that abusers get into relationships. And I hate to put labels and say abusers because we, like both of you said, we're all co-creating these dysfunctional mm-hmm. relationships for the sake of simplicity, using the label abusers get into relationships for power and control. Mm -hmm. And then the role of the victim gets into the relationship for love. I know for me, it it was hard for me to spot unsafe people because I didn't know that there was a way to engage for power and control. I thought it was for love. So Mm -hmm. I didn't even know, you know, call it ignorance. And secondly, why is it hard to spot it is about people that are on the receiving end of abuse we can't fathom that somebody 
actually intends to hurt us. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't fathom it. That was how I would stay in these cycles because I can be honeymooned in a heartbeat because I'm like, oh, you're sorry. Yes, you see the light now. Like, <laughs> And it's right. it's hard to believe that somebody actually intentionally, like that's how they function in relationship is to hurt and harm so that they can have power and control. The disbelief, I think, causes us to um, have a hard time spotting unsafe people. It is hard to wrap your brain around. I mean, that that is the, the other thing, too. When you think about it, it's like the other thing, too, is like going back to sometimes this even starts in childhood, because uh, if, if a child has experienced any type of trauma or abuse, they put it on themselves. Because like you said, Corey, they're like, my caretaker would never harm me. Therefore, it must be my fault. I must have done something wrong because they need that to survive. And then we get older and we kind of we keep that thing going. And so that's that's the other huge thing is with when when we attract these people, oftentimes it feels totally normal, like what you were saying, Lori, like it just feels it feels like home. It feels like your morning cup of coffee, you know, because Mm -hmm. because that's love. Like you were saying, Corey, love has been unsafe our whole life. So it feels like love. And then a lot of times really good and safe people, they don't feel good because sometimes they actually tell you what you need to hear. (laughs) Oh, totally. Uh, uh, So, and and the other thing, like you were saying, Lori, is if you don't know safe people, you have nothing to balance it against. You have to experience something healthy before you can know what's not healthy, which is why I think groups are so important and recovery groups and good Christian therapists and people like that because and because then we can go out like you're saying Lori and go oh okay so this this is what safe feels like and if we're not sure then we have somebody to to bounce it off of and and say hey this is what's happening is this is this safe is this unsafe and that sort of thing and then they can also help us look at our own stuff because if you're still having you know character issues or broken you're still going to attract those kind of people i know for me when i was attracting these unhealthy relationships i still had a lot of unhealth in myself you know yeah you know what you're saying about the comfort it's so uncomfortable when you first start being around normal functional imperfect as the as relationships can be it's uncomfortable and it's foreign it can be boring. It can be like, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember my children's father, he was so possessive and jealous and controlling. So when I then after divorce was in a relationship where the person who I was with was not jealous and controlling, I didn't feel like he loved me Yeah, because yeah. Mm-hmm. I had normalized love equals possessiveness, jealousy, Mm -hmm. control. And I I wasn't satisfied or I didn't feel safe and secure with just like a boring, normal, like, hey, we never have these like huge fights and then the big makeup and the, you know, that, that cycle. (laughs) I remember when I first got sober and my, and I'd met my husband and my, my sponsor saying, you know, suffer through the joy, you know, because it was like, where's the drama, right? Because if you're used to drama, you kind of need drama. And by the way, there's also adrenaline in drama. A drama can get that adrenaline. And if you like adrenaline and you're used to adrenaline and fight or flight, that's just how you roll. And you have to get used to like no life life it, that's not what it's like but you it, it can be actually it can be an addiction it can be an addiction mm-hmm. and it takes time to retrain our brains and make those new connections those new neural yes. con- connections in our brain where we actually then that becomes that that sense of well-being is associated with calm loving interaction through communication not in that adrenaline bathed circumstance I love what you said, Corey, about, I mean, just being so clear about what that pattern was and what it meant to you to actually be in a healthy relationship wasn't that excitement and also wasn't a show of love at first. And that transition that it took for you to recognize, no, this is love. This Mm -hmm. is loving behavior, the other thing. And it's almost like you have to move away from you know, this goes back to your point, Jody, about being in relationship with other people and hearing other people and their stories, which is 
so healthy to get out of isolation, especially if you're in an abusive relationship to be mm-hmm. able to, and which is the one number one thing that's usually cut off is access to other people. Yes. Um, yep. you, and being able to have that life on life where you start like, oh, you mean you're not afraid and right by your phone and checking and the whole mind reading thing. And I guess we could look at dysfunction in relationships on, like on a spectrum. On one hand, you know, there's just the, the mild dysfunction that we all have in all of our relationships. And yes. then on the other end of the spectrum would be full on abuse and mm-hmm. being able to spot ourselves on that continuum on in all of our relationships, our relationships with ourselves, We can be very self-abusive. I know I was very self-destructive um, for the first few decades of my life. I didn't understand why, but that was that whole craving of, of that and being in that whole cycle with myself because I didn't know what to do with all of that anxiety and that pain that I was keeping down. Um, and it really required me having a breakdown and, and being like, I need to be able to take care of my kids and I can't function and I need help and being able to break out. And, and for me, some of the most helpful relationships were actually with counselors. I, mean, I mm-hmm. needed legit counseling to help me understand what is healthy. I know Jody, you've talked about, you know, the boundaries guys, Henry Cloud and um, being able to hear them and read that book boundaries, which was just this lighthouse in a storm that I've never even heard of. And boundaries actually felt really mean to me at first. Mm -hmm. It felt like I was being mean to to the people that I loved by setting healthy boundaries. Health actually felt mean and that I was causing hurt. And it just took so long for me to realize, no, that that isn't love and that's not healthy, nor is it sustainable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, totally. One common thread that all three of us have been talking about is the power of being able to name something. And a therapist once told me, she's like, Corey, if you name it, you can tame it. And there's just something really powerful about being able to name these things. And some of the people that will be listening to this, we might be dropping phrases and calling things people don't really know what it is until it's named. Somebody gave me a book, Boundaries. And then at my church, they had Boundaries classes. I go to the class, the whole time, it it was like my mind was exploding. And I experienced a very similar thing as you, Lori. I thought I was mean, you know. I literally took that class five times in a row. It was so foreign to me growing up in an alcoholic home, um, so much dysfunction, like, boundaries it it was kind of like oh my gosh i see the light but i have i'm like at kindergarten level with being able to implement any of these concepts i'm hearing in this book but you know just to circle back i think it's very powerful when we start naming what is an unsafe person what are unsafe um, characteristics you know what's the part that i play what are these patterns? Jody, you mentioned that dysfunctional relationships, it can become an addiction. You know, part of breaking a, a, a pat well, addictions are patterns, but part of breaking a pattern is to be able to name it. So I thought it might be yes. useful if I share what I now use routinely to make sure that I'm not co-creating new dysfunctional, unhealthy relationships. And The way an abusive or dysfunctional relationship functions, there's those three stages. The first stage is the honeymooning. That's the, you know, luring you in. That's where Mm -hmm. the, the power and control person says and does things that causes the person that's desperate for love to engage. And, mm-hmm. and almost like salivate at the mouth, like, oh, what, you think I'm pretty? Like, oh, you like me? Oh, you bought me a gift? Or, oh, and we feel so special when we're getting honeymooned. We live for the honeymoon. But then what starts to happen is the tension building. Yep. And that's when you can like anticipate, oh, did I make you mad? Like it's walking on eggshells. Yeah. You're anticipating the third step, which is the acute. And that's where the verbal assault happens or the physical assault, the psychological assault, and then we're hurt and wounded and we're waiting for that honeymoon. And then it's like, that's that pattern where we just cycle Mm. through honeymooning, tension building, the blow up, honeymooning, Mm. tension building, the blow up. So, you know, that might be useful, you know, as we want to keep building 
safe relationships, healthy relationships is to be able to recognize when like, oh my goodness, I'm doing that thing again. And to be able to understand that pattern, and like you said, name it, is so important. I I know for me, and this goes back to like what you're saying, Corey, how we even get caught up in the first place, and then the whole boundaries thing. I was very much taught indirectly to to stuff my instincts, ignore my feelings, or or they were very much invalidated. So it wasn't intentional, but it was just a lot of don't feel that way. We don't know why you feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way. And so then when we get older, we have these horrible power imbalances, like what you were saying, Corey, where, you know, this this other person is holding the cards. They have the power. And if we try to take any of that power back, we get manipulated. We get told mm-hmm. we're wrong. And then, you know, with the boundaries, then it's like you had to do that class five times because when you probably tried to stand up to your family or whoever, they told you you were wrong because misery yeah. loves company. They did not want you to get healthy. And no. so everything in you is screaming this, you know, I, I can remember literally being in therapy and I knew I was codependent and I knew that I just needed somebody to tell me what to do. Because every time I would try to have a boundary, I couldn't think about what I needed. All I could think about was how they would react. Okay. Yeah. And so this therapist just kept saying, that's not your problem. That doesn't matter. And I just could not You know, she's like, why do you need to send the email? Why do you need to write this? Like, I could never bring it back to me. It was like, but they'll, but they'll, but they'll, but my mom, she'll, but my brother, he'll, but my dad, he'll, but the pastor, he'll, you know, and and, like, I could not wrap my brain around this idea or or just like in the abuse, like you were saying, Corey, like, oh, if Mm -hmm. I, you know, if I push back, then he'll, then he'll, then he'll, then he'll. And, And so we, when we're taught to stuff our feelings, we grow up thinking that, that, that this is okay, that we don't have any power in this relationship, that it all belongs to them. And I thought that I had, when I when that situation happened with the therapist and she was working me through this wound, I really thought I had come a long way. <laughs> I'm always thinking like, I really come a long way, baby. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, I feel like I'm back where I started. And that's what, what's so hard about there's the codependency and, and it just feels like more more is always being peeled back. Yes, you've talked a lot about that, Jody, about it being kind of an onion and it and these lessons, it's like we have to just keep learning. It feels like we're going around the same mountain. And yeah. I've had those feelings too where I'm like, Really, Lori, you're here again. Really? You didn't <laughs> you didn't learn this? Like almost like a frustration that this was such a powerful lesson and, and I've gotten so healthy. And then when you started, start having that health in your life, it feels good. But then when you find yourself in that cycle again, it's like, oh my gosh, I thought I was done with that mountain. But in reality, it's not the same mountain. It's almost like a series of mountains that you keep going on this journey and yeah. you take lessons from the previous ones, but we're always going to have those mountains and lots of application to for testing, for how are we doing with this? But I think going back to what you said, Corey, which I thought was so powerful when you were talking about the um, cycles and Mm -hmm. and it's like that dance, it's like you're you're locked in this pattern and then Mm -hmm. being in this relationship, it becomes more like conflict and grief avoidant behaviors versus really living in a a live, healthy relationship. It's like, it it becomes like a walking on the eggshells or trying to avoid this conflict and just waiting for things to blow up. And again, going on that spectrum, it could go from just highly dysfunctional or dysfunctional to abusive. But there's a lot of grief in getting well. There's a lot of grief and sadness to moving away from people who are toxic, whether it's a friendship or romantic relationship. And I think that goes to the naming part that you were saying, Corey, too, about we have to give that a name. You know, a lot of people will say, well, why do women stay in abusive relationships or men for that matter? Because men also can get be abused in relationships also physically and emotionally. Um, But, you know, why do they stay? And until we really not why is in judgment, but why is in really getting curious, what are those reasons because there are reasons that maybe people from the outside see it as excuses like and judgment because they don't understand the dynamic and they also don't understand that in that relationship it isn't all bad and that's hard to say especially if somebody is extremely abusive but but the person experiencing the abuse 
isn't just experiencing abuse oftentimes. Sometimes it is just abuse, but a lot of times there's a, it's a mix of of good and bad. It's just that oh, the, the bad parts are so extreme. So getting healthy, there is an emotional price to getting healthy. Cutting off friendships with people who are toxic and bad for you or or relationships or maybe even with children or mm-hmm. you know people in your family. And that's really hard. That's an important stage of becoming well and getting healing is being able to look at that sadness and allow yourself to process that because there's a lot of tears there especially if it's a close relationship absolutely you know the the grief and the sadness piece grief has to begin when we can even look at the truth it's so hard to believe that if we are in an abusive relationship that that person does not love us Because of the good and the bad, it's hard to believe that. It's hard to believe that when they treat us in such dysfunctional patterns, that it's a pattern. It's not like a one time, we we all hurt each other. You know, we all need forgiveness in our relationships. But when we recognize that it's an unsafe person who has a pattern in relating with people, then that's like the beginning of becoming free and that's when we start to take on the grief and the sadness and you know the bible says that the truth will set us free and a lot of times we don't want to see the truth whether it's from mm-hmm. childhood trauma or comfort or we just we don't want to see it once we can start seeing like this is a pattern the way that they relate with others it's always this power and control thing healthy relationships there's autonomy there's freedom, there's choice. It's not control. It's not compliance. It's commitment. Another thing that I wanted to um, bring up is that abuse happens in a system. It's never just one person. If you look at any time there, say you're on the receiving end of abuse, and you look at that person that's abusing you, look around. Look around at who are all the people that play a part in the system. And one of the reasons it's so hard to break that cycle is because when you step out of it, even people who are on your side that want you to be free will say and do things that lulls you back into abuse because it is a family system of abuse. And that was a hard concept for me to get. And I had to learn Mm -hmm. it the hard way. For me with a codependent and alcoholic family system and that's what I always say too to, to other people is like you know they talk about the different roles you play like the lost child the victim the martyr or you can play all these roles interdependently or you you're right it's an absolute system once we see it and we remove ourselves from it we can see oh this was the part that I played in the system like I was always the victim or I was always the one giving away my power you know that kind of a thing and so and then in, in a lot of dysfunctional families there's a scapegoat And that's the person that everybody blames so they can ignore the elephant in the room, which is dad's alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Right, Corey? And so there's always these things. And and so like I tell my husband, because, you know, and I'm even I'm like like this family shrink or something. I think I make everybody mad because I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, it's not just mom's fault. It's the whole system, everybody, you know, and they're like, oh, Lord. Once you remove yourself from the system, there's going to be a lot of blowback because what it does is it exposes the system for what it is, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) You, You know, I would attract a lot of times really unhealthy female friends in my life. And of course, guys too. It was like you were talking about Corey and Lori, the the power thing because all relationships are a balance of power and I don't mean like I mean in in a healthy way where it's like you know Lori I share with you something deep and then you kind of share with me and then I know okay I can trust her you know Corey I you know invite you to lunch and then maybe you and you know and we kind of have this this sort of power balance where things are balancing out well for me I would, because of my self-esteem, was so low, I felt like I had to sort of buy friendships or give my power away. So I would do things like, you know, you you can have the stage announcement. I don't need to do that. Or you, you can run the group. I'm not really good at that anyway, when that was a lie. And so I would give my power away and I would show up to the relationship as low value. I would mm-hmm. show up as low value and then I would be feel taken advantage of 
when I was treated low value. But so I had to look at that. Like, what are you doing? If you have a yeah. continual pattern of, of these kind of narcissistic women that are coming in and taking from you, what are you doing? How are you showing up? And it was like, oh, I'm showing up as low value. And that was the hardest thing to look at. I mean, that just crucified me like over and over. Oh, I just like, I'm going to cry because I just kept doing it. And then I was like, God, Aww. please heal my self-esteem. I meant to actually try to stand up for myself. It felt like I was going to die. Like it felt yeah. like I would be destroyed. And they say that with like kids of narcissism and stuff like that, that like they feel like if they're a human being with any power, they will be destroyed. So with mm. codependency, you confuse love and self-pity and love and self-pity are very different. And I would be like, well, you can't love me because I'm not good enough, but here, feel sorry for me. You know what I mean? And just, just right. to get out of that victim mentality was the hardest thing for me to, I mean, it, it was so hard. I mean, so hard because, you know, to, to wake up yeah. every day and be like, I'm not a victim. I'm not a victim, you know, yeah. and, and, and I'm sure that's something you can all relate to, especially as women. I think we can kind of relate to that. I, I wanted to say one thing, but then I wanted, I thought it might be a good time maybe for Lori, for you to share a little bit about the um, self-defense classes that you do and that work, because when Jody, when you were talking about um, the, the power all of us have power and we figure out a way how to get through life by using power over others or power under others. So oh. with codependency and low self-esteem, we're just as controlling and manipulating as I the know. abuser, if you will. <laughs> but we, we do it in a way of feel sorry for me, self-pity, yes. complaining, crying. You know, it sounds so yes. weak, but honestly, it's just as it's just as misused as the mm -hmm. bully on the playground who's using the dirty looks, the punching, the pushing, the teasing, using power over, but truly healthy relationships, it's power with, and that's where I'm going to yes. show up a hundred percent. I'm going to be vulnerable and courageous to say something as simple as I don't want Chinese food for dinner. I know in my relationship <laughs> with my husband, I will notice, I will start to build up resentment because we, something so silly, but it's like, he yeah. always wants to go to the same three restaurants. And then all <laughs> of a sudden I'll like blow up at him. Like we always go where you want to eat. But I yeah. realize my old pattern of yeah. giving away my power, yep. people pleasing, making it easy for everyone else. Like, so I'm using power under, but the goal is power with, and autonomy. So both parties should be able to voice up, you know, the, the people that are so used to giving their power away, we have to build up the muscle of being seen and inconveniencing people. And then the people oh. that are so used to power over, they have to get used to guess what, the world doesn't revolve around you. How about you yes. ask other people, like, I, I tell I mean, my husband's amazing. He's super most loving guy. And at the same time, he can, um, he likes what he likes. He, he's a creature of habit and he literally will be like, oh, so it's your birthday. So do you want to go here, here, here? And it's like, those are the same three places we always go. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, make it easy for me to actually, actually have my own opinion here. You know, poor Rusty, I can't believe I'm throwing him under the bus like this. <laughs> That's all right. But, um, but you know, it's that, it's, it's all about how we use our power and you know lori when i met you at and you were the keynote for cultivate courage and you you spoke about and you you had us do moves you know physical it's self-defense but it's mm -hmm. the psychological and you keep mentioning the brain it's that psychological uh, thinking pattern that we need yes. to be able to have power with. <laughs> and I'll just interject and say that I took her self-defense class too. So I learned the punching and the kicking as well. It was good stuff, but I need to do it again because I've forgotten some of the moves. Oh, we'll definitely do it again. <laughs> I know. I have a home gym now. So I have this whole upstairs where there's, there's like mats on the floor. So, you know, if you ever want to host a little self-defense class at my house in Reno, just come on over. Let, let's do it because nothing will cure you for 
from not being assertive, like uh, kicking and hitting in a safe <laughs> yeah. environment. Let me tell you, it, it would be yeah. almost impossible to remain unassertive after you and, can do that. It was actually part of my own recovery was taking that first boxing class. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I had gained 40 pounds in a depression. I was just so lower than low and uh, just being strangled by just childhood trauma and unprocessed emotion and just all of those things. And in counseling, learning about um, taking care of myself. And I'm like, what's that? What is self-care? <laughs> I mean, it was such a foreign concept and it felt selfish at first to consider myself uh, and thinking about what you were saying, Corey, just a second ago about um, ma- kind of making room for yourself. It's that taking responsibility to assert yourself healthfully, you know, ma- and I can relate. I mean, even just your example of the restaurants, I am by nature, I'm very flexible and not super preferential when it comes to like, hey, where does everybody want to go to eat? You know, I'm really fine, it, it, except for I don't like sushi. I don't like raw food. So as long oh, as it's cooked. No, like, girlfriend, we're going to retra- we're gonna have to retrain you. Okay, I know <laughs> people think I'm just crazy, but uh, I, I really don't like that. So I, that's kind of yeah. where my boundary is. But part of it is, <laughs> yeah. part of it is I don't, I really don't. It really doesn't matter to me where we go for dinner, but in certain instances for me to assert myself when I do want to have certain things, being able to make those wishes known and have them be equally important as the people around me. And so then you don't, so then I don't have that feeling of being neglected when really I'm the one perpetuating the neglect and mm-hmm. and and expecting other people to mind read or just to intuitively be the way that I am and of course that's just part of self development right. and growing is realizing oh people people don't think like I do and they might have a completely different experience of our relationship than than I am and just dealing with that resentment but it really starts at taking ownership and responsibility to I am responsible to communicate my boundaries you're not responsible to mind read and secretly know my boundaries. I need to Mm -hmm. communicate those with you and set those. And then once I've done that, depending on how you behave with me is whether or not you're going to be behaving yourself closer to me or farther away from me based on the boundaries that I set. So it's taking that responsibility. You know, I think Jody, when you were sharing, which got me, you know, kind of choked up when you were talking about your experiences of kind of giving away all those things, being so accommodating and, and giving. And I'm wondering what your experience was when you have that kind of personality where you really would give the shirt off your back and that's your nature. That's not unhealthy. That's just how God wired you, right? That's just Mm -hmm. your nature. That's not always a bad thing. It's actually really good. You know, God calls us to, to be self-sacrificing and to give and, and all of that. And there's blessing in that. But once you have a friendship where that's reciprocated, like that comes back. For me, it was developing healthy friendships. It's like the yes. heavens parted. I know. Mm-hmm. I'm I like, know. what? You mean you're you mean you're you're fine with doing this or having that or you, you're gonna call me and ask me how I'm doing? It was so mind blowing to feel healthy relationships or that sense of trust of I'm going to share something with you. And when I hang up the phone, I'm not going to be kicking myself that I shared that I'm actually going to trust that you're not going to share that with other people, that feeling of safety. Have you experienced that in then with healthy relationships? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was totally amazing because that's like why I say, if you don't know what if you don't know what safe is, you're going to continue in unsafe you know? And so often when we try to have boundaries, like you guys were talking about just where you want to go for eat to to eat, if you grew up with your boundaries always being crashed, to Mm -hmm. to stand up for yourself means I'm going to get accused of being selfish. I'm going to get like, all these things are going to happen to me. I'm not going to be loved anymore. I'm going to be. So for me, it was always massive manipulation. So like with Mm -hmm. my brother's alcoholism and stuff, it was always, you know, if you don't go pick him up off the street, you know, we're going to take you out of our will or whatever it is. And and it wasn't, it wasn't that, that my family was trying to hurt me. They just, they were so codependent and they needed him to be alive so bad that nobody was allowed to have any boundaries with an alcoholic. And so then you go and you try to stand up. You, the, the minute you, you have those boundaries with people, you're waiting for the shoe to drop. They're going to manipulate me. They're going to make me feel sad inside. They're going to make me feel weak. They're going to make me feel bad about who I am. 
they're going to retaliate. Mm-hmm. And if you're with a manipulator, it's very hard because for me, I'm pretty, I'm not a great debater. I'm pretty plain spoken. Like I don't do well when I know someone's real manipulative. And so it's easier for me to just shut down because I can't, I can't hold my own sometimes because I get so triggered that I just want to shut down when I know somebody's manipulative. And so, mm-hmm. but but back to what you were saying, Lori. So so I used to do things like when I was in radio, I had a platform. So I was on terrestrial radio for like 28 years. And I would do things like, hey, you know, come be on my show or come do this. Or I felt like, like I couldn't just come into a relationship and just be your friend. I had to offer you something. Like I had to give yeah, you something. Yeah, let me buy this love from you or, or however that works works and then people would would take from me and like I I created this beautiful radio show and somebody this gal just came in narcissistic ripped it off I mean all this stuff and I had to look at what I had done well what was so funny (laughs) and you're gonna you guys are gonna laugh I (laughs) created this this radio program when I was at the fish called fish family solutions and it was a whole bunch of therapists and they would call in each week and we do quick little tidbits on, you know, how to survive the holidays and all these sorts of things. And it was it was actually just through talking to these therapists that I saw the the healthy dynamic. Like I would say, Hey, do you wanna, you know, do be on this time or that time, you know, or whatever? And they would they would write back and say, Yeah, and and you know, what what can I do back for you? Or how can you know what I mean? And there was this reciprocation. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, and, and And not that I didn't have other friends that reciprocated and stuff. I did. But when it came to my career and stuff, it was just really, it was just really eye-opening. It was like, wow, you mean I don't actually have to, you know, buy their approval. Like this is reciprocal. And so that was really eye-opening for me. So We, we keep mentioning it's the power of the experience. You know, it's like, once we have that positive experience and we know what health looks like, yes. it's like, then, then you, and you get a taste of it and you get past the discomfort and you get past the, is the other shoe going to drop? You're like, wait a minute, this is how I want my friendships. And this is how I want yes. my relationships. And then it's like, now I can spot dysfunction <laughs> like a mile away. And yes. I, and I, I see if I get triggered into my old patterns, I can spot it. And I, and sometimes I just choose to remove myself because I'm like, I don't want to have to work so hard with this person to not become dysfunctional myself. Uh And, but it's the power of the experience. And that's the gift that now that we've come out of these dysfunctional relationships, we can give the gift to other people. And it's like the more we experience and create healthy experiences for others, I mean, that's how we can heal. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that peace that comes from really it's returning to the state, I think, in, that God created us to be in. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't yeah. create us to be hurt. You know, he didn't. That's not our real true home state is to be hurt. It's to be loved. You know, God is love and yes. he He wants us to love and to be part of love. And when things are not loving, again, on that spectrum, it's going to affect us. Uh, being able to retrain ourselves, you know, going back to the self-defense piece, uh, I used to call my program called Permission to be Powerful. That was actually what I called it because I found that through martial arts for myself personally, it was the vehicle that I learned how to physically be assertive and that affected how I was mentally. It, it's like the physical mirrored the mental. And when I was in counseling mm-hmm. and in therapy and you know, healing from trauma and being hurt and being quiet, I was very quiet about things. And, and that silence and that isolation was just really, really affecting me. And then of course I had, had these behaviors to try to quelch the anxiety and the depression. But as I started to, in counseling, move my emotions and my thoughts, and then on the mat in martial arts, I was moving my body and having to even key up, you know, that short yell that you do when you're punching and kicking in martial uh-huh. arts. And it took me like two weeks just to break through that 
I'm like, I cannot make that sound in public. There's just no way. So there were, <laughs> there was a two week period of time where I knew I wanted to get on the mat. I had been boxing for a couple of years, just like an exercise class, which was so fun and awesome. And so I had, I had learned to, to move my body and I just felt so much better. And it, it added to my ability just to take up space. And, mm-hmm. and like, I'm as important as, as everyone I'm here, you know, and I've been quiet, but I'm here and I still am as loving as I've ever been. I still want to help people because I love people deeply. It's how God made me to be, but I also love myself equally. And, and so I have to take care of myself too. But I remember that this period of time when I started going to martial arts and our kids were taking martial arts classes and people were keyopping in class, like, and it was, I felt awkward for them. And like, but then to think I'm going to have to do that. So I remember asking one of the master instructors, can I do this, but not do the kiop? And, and I remember him looking at me like this was a legitimate question I had. This is how afraid of, of being yeah. heard in that way because it sounds and looks very animalistic. So anyway, I joke about it now because once I, and of course the answer was no, you're going to have to do that. Uh, once I broke through that and stepped into that and chose to take the path and make my commitment that I'm going to get a black belt and I'm going to, I had no idea that God had planned this wonderful life of me being able to help pass on the things that I learned in counseling and in healing and trauma and then the physical, how to keep yourself safe physically and mentally. I had no idea God had that downriver for me. But when I made the commitment to do that and I started to do the key hopping, it was so empowering mm. to use my voice and to be heard and to actually be heard being assertive and loud. And I, and I no longer carried, it carried this, like, don't look at me. Nobody look at me. I don't want anybody to look at me. It was like, it became my own personal journey for myself, not even relating to anybody else anymore. It was just about me and what I was learning on the mat. And it's like that separation and that individuation that happens, it has to happen to become healthy and whole is to be able to be a separate person and to be mm-hmm. whole and healthy and then bring that to others and offer that and and not looking for other people to complete or validate or what do you think about this, but this is yeah. who I am with humility that I don't have it all figured out. So I'm open to what you might have to say because I might not be looking at things right, but also with that confidence um, and just our physical posture. You know, if somebody is struggling right now and listening and like, gosh, I don't have a lot of self-confidence. In fact, I'm so beat down. I'm depressed. I've been in quarantine and isolation and I just feel totally lost in it and just like life has shrunk, which so many people are in a lot of pain right now. And they were before going into this COVID pandemic and now they just might feel buried. Just the physical standing up with your shoulders back as Jordan Peterson, you know, his first rule in the 12 rules for life in his book, which is such a phenomenal book. The first rule is stand up and put your shoulders back. And I actually have people (laughs) in my class do that. Stand up and put your shoulders back. Because when you do that, you trigger for yourself a confidence, not only that for yourself, but you communicate that nonverbal communication to others. Like I'm not somebody who's going to be your victim. And that's a really, really important thing with being physically safe, because of course, predators are out looking for people to victimize. That's their game. And so if you're standing with your shoulders back and making eye contact, you're already off the list for a lot of perpetrators who are looking for victims. That's amazing. For some reason, I've always luckily had that thing about me, sort of the passive aggressive where I had this codependent side. But then, you know, whenever I was in an unsafe situation, I would stand up tall, make eye contact, you know, don't mess with me, you know, like, (laughs) so I had that, uh, but I didn't actually realize, you know, what I was doing. But but looking back, I do. But it's so true. You've got to have all it's it's like the mind body and spirit you know I mean those three things have to work together and so it is it's like how you show up for people how you show up just when you're when you're out and about I want to give you Corey the opportunity to share your story because you have an, an amazing story of how God took you through and what he taught you through this it was actually sounds like a very horribly abusive marriage that you were in. Yeah, yeah, it was. um, I actually met my children's father in an extremely dysfunctional and spiritually abusive church. Um, He was a leader in the church, six years older than me. Um, Our 
our relationship began sadly through um, sexual abuse. I mean, it took me years to even be able to name that because mm -hmm. I thought that it was my fault how we started. Talk about not being able to spot an unsafe person. I met him when I was 16, he was 22. And I just looked up to him for six years and thought that he was this godly man. Um, it was a very charismatic church that, you know, he would prophesy. And, you know, to make a long story short, we basically left the state together. He was still married to the pastor's daughter. And um, we left the state. And as we were leaving, I start, I'm like, oh, you smoke and like, oh, you drink and like, oh, you listen to like Nine Inch Nails and because we were in a very controlling church where no secular music type thing. So right oh from gosh. the get go, from the get go, from within two weeks of the first assault from him, I was like, what's happening? Mm -hmm. Two and a half years later, we had our first child and being a mom was something I had dreamed about since a child. I mean, I was the little girl you know how there's certain little girls they're into stuffed animals or they're into they're more tomboys well i was the little girl with the baby dolls pushing the baby carriage down the street like i dreamed of being a mom well being a mom in an abusive marriage was actually a nightmare i had two children by the time just before i was 24 i had my son so i had my daughter first and my son I'm telling you, it was, I did everything to hold that marriage together and to raise my children. I didn't believe in divorce. My parents are still married today after 40 years. My grandparents were married for over 60 years. I did everything. The thing is, in an abusive relationship, I was your typical try harder. Everything is my fault. If I do better, if I be better, if I can just keep him happy. But by the time my son's fifth birthday had happened, the abuse spilled over in front of my family and it resulted in the cops being called. My father was assaulted by my ex-husband. My brother was choked. I was thrown across the room. I mean, it was oh obvious I needed to get out. Wow. So I did. I got out, but I didn't know how to have boundaries or change the dynamics. And, and though I was physically free and geographically free, the psychological and emotional abuse only intensified through the name of co-parenting. Any communication regarding the kids was used for manipulation, control. And though I had primary custody of my children for the first several years after the divorce, little by little, um, more control was in, it inched in there. And by the time my kids were um, almost 12 and 13, my ex-husband deployed a new type of abuse that I didn't even know was possible. Um, it's called parental alienation. And it's, it's literally unbelievable. Like nobody would believe that this would happen with my children and I because we were so close. But basically the way parental alienation works, it's psychological manipulation of a child mm -hmm. by saying and doing things that lead the child to look unfavorably on one parent, ultimately yeah. causing them to see that parent as all bad and wanting nothing to do with them. So the goal of parental alienation is to sever all contact between the child, or in my case, children and the parent. And in essence, it's brainwashing the child for the mm -hmm. sake of absolute separation. And so, like I said, by the time my children were 12 and 13, though I fought it through court, um, basically in the county we live in, at their age, they're like, the kids can decide. And so the children had one phone call with the mediator and told the mediator they wanted nothing to do with me. The judge still awarded about eight hours a week. So two visits at four hours a day. But even that was a nightmare. So I, I went through this unbelievable, it's the type of abuse that stripped me of everything from my role, my identity, my dignity, and even my name. My, my children stopped calling me mom. And they started calling their stepmom mom. They started calling me bio short for biological mom. Um, I noticed Ugh. this the first time, you know, I, it's like I talk about it and it's just still like makes me shake. Mm. I remember 
the kids were at my house and I, and Skylar had said that she wanted to stay a little bit later. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll email dad. And then she's like, no, I'll text him. And so then I, I see a text come on her phone and she's like, we're going to stay at bios longer. And I'm like, bio, who's bio. And another time I see on her phone, best mommy ever, like a text from best mommy ever. And I'm like, I didn't text her. <laughs> What's happening? Um, like, and I, I mean, we don't have time for all the stories. Um, and plus it triggers a lot, a lot of self-pity in me. But, um, but here's the thing. I went through this long stripping of talk about victimizing in a whole nother way. And it was kind of that, you know, like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, yeah. how could this happen? Through that stripping, through that isolation, through that alienation, God taught me so much. And I'm in the middle of redemption and I'm at the beginning chapters of restoration. But but I'll tell you, I'm still I'm still battling relentless abuse and assaults through my children. And I learned through I went through a program called Community for Peace and I learned there are 16 forms of abuse and one of them is called use of children. And I think I think anybody can relate who's been through abuse that it doesn't have to be use of children, but it's use of other relationships. Sometimes oh, it's somebody who's used to just... abusing you if they can't get to mm-hmm. you. Yeah, yes. if they can't get to yes. you, then they will find, you know, borderline personalities. They do this thing called splitting and there's just different tactics and ways that abusers, you know, they have to get that dopamine hit. They love it. Somebody who is on, you know, plays the role of the abuser, they feel good and they literally get a dopamine hit when they create, inflict pain on another person. You know, I'm just, I'm just imagining you, Corey, as a young girl, like you were saying, in with such a, the word nurture just came to mind, you nurturing spirit and who you were with your baby dolls, you know, pushing down the street. And it seems like from a very young age, like God just made you to be a nurturer and, mm-hmm. and someone who is very loving and someone who takes responsibility in relationships to be that way. It's like you have this strong desire to nurture um, your dolls when you were young. And then as, as a mother, of course, you being 16 and he's 22, the imbalance of power straight away. I mean, that mm-hmm. that was, you were like, it's kind of like really any kind of abusive situations. Like, uh, you know, when I, I've taught girls who've been victims of sex trafficking and they, you know, go through that Romeo stage and it's like, they're drowning before they even see the water. Mm-hmm. And for yeah. you, it's 16 and he's 22 and it's in church. So there's massive spiritual abuse. So there's imbalance of power. Mm-hmm. There's spiritual abuse. Like he's prophesying, you mentioned, um, mm-hmm. and you're in this controlled environment. So you're age wise and developmental wise, you are making choices that you don't even realize the, comp- you know, what's, what's coming. And then to see mm-hmm. these red flags and, and still you're, you're 16. How can you know what to do with that? You, you, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have that, the brain power, the life experience to be able to defend yourself in that way. And then when he could not control you anymore, it's like you're, you were trying to still nurture your children when he mm-hmm. was abusing you. So that nurturance has remained in you. And then after, when you got away, he's still abusing through your children. And he's not just abusing you, but abusing them to, oh, to, yeah. rob, to rob your children of a mother, their mother who is nurturing and loving. It's like there's on so many levels. And I'm just wondering, you know, as you and you've shared so you've shared publicly and, and been so generous and vulnerable with your story. I just think there's so many people that you're going to help. And I just like praying for you as you're sharing, because I know you're walking through it and God is doing so many awesome things through it and the healing and the redemption. And I'm just, you know, sensing with your kids as they get older, they'll have the opportunity to look at this and go, oh my gosh, like, like perhaps there's going to be a reckoning with them with their father, oh, yeah. you know, Absolutely. All the, the years of loss and, and, but your heart remaining nurturing can be a bridge back to them. No matter how old they get, you are still always going to have that for them. So they'll always be able to return to you. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it was, 
it's been a war, like when you were talking about um, getting on the mat and like having that voice and like speaking up, like at one point in the alienation, I, I had to decide, was I going to try to win this in court or not? Because I knew it was going to be thousands of dollars. And I also knew like every attorney I, I met with was like, you're not probably not going to get anything until those kids will say they want to see you. And I, I remember I, I, you know, with my husband, Rusty, I was like, I said, I cannot look myself in the mirror if I do not go out there and fight this already lost battle. I don't care. And that was me. You know, it was it was so hard to show up to court appointments and and the retaliation and the fight. But I have to do this because I don't care about, it's not about winning or losing. It's about, I will not give up on my children. God showed me a lot of things. And and one of the things that he showed me is that, well, he told me one day in church, he's like, Corey, I'm taking you out all the way out and they will mm-hmm. follow you. And, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. If anybody who's listening on this podcast is in an abusive relationship, it's up to us to step out of it and to grieve reality and to pay the uh, retaliation. Like we have to overcome whatever cost it is for the sake of liberation. And so it's like, I know as a mother, I have the authority over my children through prayer, but I also don't want to be in a dysfunctional relationship in terms of it's their life and it's their choice. And at some point they are going to have to see themselves worthy enough to not be in a power and control relationship. And so I've modeled a way like, hey, I've stepped out. And, and if you don't want to, you're autonomous. Mm-hmm. I'm here. I My arms are open. I love you. Nothing will ever change that. But it, it really has been a battle, Lori, like you were saying, of my heart. I have come toe to toe with every scripture in the Bible that says, Do not let malice and hatred and bitterness. I mean, I have envisioned the most heinous things that I would want to do. And I'm like, wait a minute, love my enemies. (laughs) And so I've, I've had to be in a battle of, okay, God, I have flesh. I need you to renew my heart, renew my spirit, replace hatred with love. Like, and I, I routinely pray for blessings for the people that have hurt me, for their dad, their stepmom, their paternal grandmother, the whole family system that's like created this. And I and I pray, you know, God bring godly influences into their lives. Let them feel your love so much that any retaliation they have dissipates because when we're overflowing receiving God's love, we don't want to hurt other people. We we we're abundant. It's, it's definitely, I wouldn't wish this on anyone else. Um, at the same time, I know that God, he only allows things that it's funny. People always go, God will never give you more than you can handle. And I'm like, uh, 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 I'm like, <laughs> God gives us more than we can handle. So we stop relying on ourselves, and we get the yeah. gift of receiving his supernatural grace and power and and that's been my situation. If if I if God gave me what I could handle, I would be dead right now. Because if it wasn't for him, I would be in a mental institution, a grave, or a prison in that order, having gone through this. But because of him, I see the truth, and I have faith, and I have hope, and I know he has a plan for my children's lives and he's going to take everything that's been wrong and it's going to be used for healing, for redemption, for hope, for light, and for a path for others and my children. But it's not easy. <laughs> oh my goodness. I just, I'm I'm so sorry that this happened to you. And every time I've heard you share, I just say the same thing. I'm so sorry that this happened to you. And I picture you too as, as the little girl with the alcoholic father. So first of all, you were yeah. never parented. So this guy comes in and he's, he's they're basically being like your dad. And, and I relate to that too, where I would attract mm-hmm. 
these um, abusive type men. Luckily, I was I was able to get out before the hitting started and all those sorts of things. And and God kind of saved me from that road. But it was the same thing because, um, you know, I was looking for that father figure. And so I was always attracting the alcoholic or the or the unsafe man or, you know, something like that. But one of the things that I just come into to agreement with you with regards to God's redemption, because And I hate to wish bad things on abusers, but I will say when I look back at all the people I've attracted that have been narcissistic and those sorts of things, um, it's, it's always, at least thus far, it has not worked out well for them. You know what I mean? Like God says, vengeance is mine. And you cannot do that to people for very long it will come back i mean there's just there is just this wreckage behind you and so i believe that and and would you say that this guy was he borderline or was he a narcissist or um antisocial antisocial oh my word okay wow and some borderline some borderline because i and i know some people like this They'll stop at nothing, literally. Mm-hmm. And I know someone like this. She tried to divorce him, and he's a lawyer. And literally, it's like he just keeps going and going and going and is trying to turn the kids away from her. It's relentless. But slowly, mm-hmm. the children are starting to see. They're mm-hmm. starting to see what their dad's doing, and they don't want to have anything to do with them. So you can see this starting to happen. But man, it takes what it takes. So I just oh. I applaud you for just not giving in and not giving up because oh, you are yeah. a true you are a true warrior. This is what a true warrior looks like and what you're doing. This is prolonged. This is and you know, just in hearing your story and listening to you, anybody who listens to you can sense the grace and the love that you have. It's so evident in just who you are. Just it kind of comes into the room with you and Mm-hmm. And your kids know that and they're going to know that. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're doing what they have to do to survive right now. And those behaviors and those um, survival tactics, you playing the long game. And I mean, like, not like in life's a game, but like you have mm-hmm. a long term. This is legacy, what you're doing. Yeah, You're doing legacy work and you are laying down the tracks for your children to follow a different legacy regardless of what happens for the rest of the time on earth that you have with your children or they have or whatever, you are laying a different set of tracks for your family to live a different legacy because you broke the chain, you broke the dance, you Mm -hmm. found a new way and you have worked your way with the Lord's help to create a different model of life. Mm -hmm. And that peace that you have, even though there are so many tears, I imagine that we couldn't even count your tears. And, you know, there's scripture that says that God, you know, holds our tears in a bottle. I love that scripture. I think that's in Psalms. It's like, he cares so much. It doesn't want you to feel this way. And he gives us his presence to help us sustain. But sometimes trials feel so overwhelming and insurmountable. Um, And then we realize, oh, this is why I'm doing this. I need to put my eyes, you know, like in, I think second Corinthians, the apostle Paul tells us to put our mind on the unseen things because the Mm -hmm. unseen things are eternal and the seen things that we can see are temporary. So your focus on the unseen, you know, in the spirit world, you know, in the spiritual realm of Mm -hmm. our life, you know, our life here on earth is temporary, but the work that you're doing is eternal. Thank you, Lori and Jody, and specifically thank you, Lori, right now for uh, you. See what I almost did? I almost jumped past receiving everything you just spoke into my soul right now. Mm-hmm. Like that is part of our healing and our recovery is to receive these healthy yeah. relationships. And like literally, Lori, you just modeled, and now I'm working on receiving. This is what a healthy relationship does. Like, just like the family system of abuse functions a certain way. Well, we're part of God's family and we are sisters in the spirit. We are like, we are brothers and sisters in Christ where this is how healing happens. There's so many little decisions throughout the day that we're either inching towards healthy, thriving relationship or, or we are participating in an unsafe, unhealthy relationship. And so I, I just know that, you know, um, listeners, it, it might be dynamics with 
kids, parents, siblings, bosses, coworkers, besties since high school, you know, all these relationships, they are all opportunities for us to create a healthy connection or an unhealthy connection. And I know for me, from my situation, what I've learned these lessons through, I wish I could have learned them not with my kids, <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm devoted to continually, um, you should see my library of books I've got. There's actually a book called Safe People by Dr. Cloud and Townsend. And I actually have that book open. <laughs> That's where I came up with, uh, with talking about safe versus unsafe people. In fact, I was looking through it as we were going to maybe get into unsafe friendships, which we'll probably end up saving for another episode. One of the things that helps for me, personally, I know that the only person I can change is me. God grant me the serenity to accept what I can't change, which is other people, right? And the courage yeah. to change what I can, which is me. And oftentimes when we show up differently in the relationship, that's when other people change. But we have to show up differently and as the safe person in the relationship or just completely move ourselves out of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes it's then that other people will begin to change. And if they don't, right, I mean, we can't do anything about that. You know, unfortunately for right. me, you know, my husband and I have moved out of the, you know, I moved out of the, the dysfunction of the relationship, but, but, and then my brother passed away and nobody else really changed, unfortunately. Um, but there's still hope for God. But, but I know that I yeah. took the step to, to, to change and to work on becoming more of a safe person, but, but that was the only thing I could do. And then every day it's, it, I just have to, to surrender. And then we just pray for those people that they will change or that they will see the light or that they will find the Lord or that they will, you know, change their ways. But so often when, when we change, it does, it exposes the dynamic and then it often causes other people to react or change within the relationship. And then it's just knowing the difference of what we can and can't control. So there's so much that we can do something about and so much that we just absolutely have to have to let go of and just continue to work on our own part of the situation. Because really, in the end of the day, it's the only thing we can control. Yeah. And um, the, the message that I heard at church yesterday, it was um, talking about how Moses... God told Moses, take your staff and speak to the rock to, to get water out of it. And the staff represents our authority. We all have spiritual authority. And when we don't use that authority, I, I believe we are participating in unhealthy things. And so when take, we can take our hurt, when we see people still abusing, still dysfunctional, still unsafe, when we feel those, the pain, the loss, the fear, that wakes us up to take our staff and take our authority and speak life and speak uh, liberation and freedom and healing. Because if God healed us, he can heal anyone. And if God healed my dad at the age of 72 from, or 70, of alcoholism after 60 years of talk about familiar failure. I mean, mm -hmm. my dad had nearly given up the hope that he would ever live a sober life. Our whole family system had nearly given up. Like, it's like, this is rich. You know, this is uncle rich. Like this is pappy. This is just, and it's like, no, it's never too late. It's never too yeah. late. So we have to pick up our authority and pray and speak life. Woo. Amen, Corey. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing your story and just for your heart and for your transparency. And Lori, the same thing. Thank you so much, ladies, for being part of this series. You know, we talked a lot about our own experiences and what unsafe relationships look like and also our part in the dynamic and how we can unconsciously select or get involved with unsafe people. And I want to pick this up next week. The three of us are going to share with you from our own experiences, ways to connect with your instincts, with your own feelings, and also tips and healing suggestions for how to avoid unsafe relationships and also how to heal from the past. So don't miss it next week. You can connect with Corey. Her website is choosevolition.com. She's an awesome speaker. 
as you can tell. And she would love it if you would reach out to her, Lori Lara as well, LoriLara.com. Check out her Strong Girl Defense program, Lori, L-O-R-I-L-A-R-A.com. And of course, I would love to hear from you as well. You can connect with me by emailing me, connect with Jody Stevens at yahoo.com. And check out my website too, jodystevens.org. And don't miss this show next week as we continue this series on unsafe people and how to heal from the damage they cause. God bless you and thanks for listening.